Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, we do thank you that you will come back soon and that we will take your children home back with you as we sang in that song. You have never been overcome. You have never been defeated. And we can take trust and hope in that. And we just thank you. We ask you to bless this time as we look at the idea of baptism for the next couple weeks. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start in Acts 2. We're going to be all over the place, so we're going to be... We're going to be uh, moving around. But the first thing we want to talk about is baptism. The word baptism means to be submerged. It really, that's all it means is to be submerged. All right? And there are two different aspects in the Bible about baptism. And today we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when it happens, why it happens, what is the advantage of it. Next week we will talk about baptism and why we get baptized. <laughs> In, in water, and then the third week will show an example of baptism as we get ready for our baptism that day. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about baptism. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So here is one that causes a lot of people confusion because he says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. Now, one thing we want to understand is we do not teach baptismal regeneration. That's the idea that you get baptized to get, get saved and have your sins forgiven. That is not what this verse is even referring to. This verse is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in us. When we get saved, contrary to most of the charismatic and Baptist, uh, Pentecostals, you get the Holy Spirit living in you the moment you're saved. And you are submerged into the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we get submerged into the Holy Spirit and he doesn't lift us back out. Fortunately, when we do water baptism, we let you back up. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're not sending you to heaven with that baptism, but... Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is we are submerged into the Holy Spirit and we stay submerged in him so that we become changed. All right? We become changed by being put in him. We are immersed into God himself and he then changes us over time. And we've talked about this in the past. It's the example that I read in, a, in one of the scholarly works that when they talk about baptism, they talk about the submersion of vegetables into vinegar, how they become a pickle because they stay there. I use that same analogy for us. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are submerged in the Holy Spirit. We stay in the Holy Spirit and he slowly fills our life. Some people faster, some people slower. And we become more like God because we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. That's this first baptism. This is what we're going to talk about today. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. What do we get from the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit? We get the power to live a new life. The wonderful thing is when we get saved and we get baptized by the Holy Spirit, something changes in our life because in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 5.17, we're told that we are a new creation. 1 Corinthians 5.17, we are a new creation in Christ when we're saved. Something changes in our life. And I challenge people, if they tell me they're saved, I'm going, what has changed? What has changed in your life? For many, it'll be that they can finally understand the Bible. How many of you have ever heard people, or maybe you said it before you were a Christian, I just can't read the Bible, I can't understand the Bible. 
and God comes into your life and all of a sudden you open the same book that the day before you couldn't read and understand and all of a sudden everything is jumping off the page and it's making sense because the Holy Spirit is inside you changing. That may be the first and biggest thing. Some people get delivered from addictions. Just overnight they get delivered from addiction and have the power to say no. Some people, like myself, a temper was taken away from and, and changed overnight. Something changes in us when the Holy Spirit comes in, and then he spends the rest of our life sanctifying us. And we've talked about that. What is sanctification? It's the act of making something perfect. Now, when we get saved, God says we're perfect. Now, every one of us in this room know that, especially me, I'm not perfect, and you know that you're not perfect. <laughs> you know, we all know that we have problems. But you know that God says as soon as you're saved, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, and he says, that's my perfect child. I see them perfect. Why? Because he clothes us in Jesus Christ. He clothes us in the righteousness of God. He hides us in the Holy Spirit. And when he looks at us, what does he see? He sees the Holy Spirit. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Wonderful action that he does for us. And that's just a decree in heaven. This person is perfect. Now we're going to live the rest of our life being perfected. And this is where you find yourself doing something that you could do last week or last year or 10 years ago. And all of a sudden God says, no, you can't do it anymore. And then he gives you the strength to get, not do it. And then you look back over your life and go, wow, I don't do the same things I used to do. Because the Holy Spirit that you've been immersed into is changing who you are. This is what this verse is all about. It is not about salvation because you got baptized. If you have to be saved, baptized to be saved, the thief on the cross, Jesus lied to him. When he says, this day you will be with me in paradise. Now that thief was baptized by the Holy Spirit and got the Holy Spirit indwelling in him when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And he was filled at that point in time and he went to heaven. He had the first baptism. He had the one that's important. Okay, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is important. Now, we have many denominations that will tell you that when you're saved, you just are partially there. You have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit sometime in the future. That is not what the Bible teaches. You are saved. You get all of God. Now, you can limit the power of the Holy Spirit. You can limit what the, power, what the Spirit will do for you, and you may seek more power from, from the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk a little more about that as we move on. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. Start at verse 12. For the body is one and has many members, and all members of that one body belong, being many, are one body also in Christ. For as one spirit we are all baptized into the body, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. This baptism, again, is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? To make us one. We're all placed into the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is very large and, and infinite size, but we can all fit in him, but he makes us one. This is what is called the universal church. We here in chloride that are saved make up the body of Christ in chloride. But we are all part of the universal church all across the world, not just the United States, but all across the world. And it is a wonderful experience to be able to go other places and you go to the church in some other part of the country or world and find, by golly, God is the same there as he is here. <laughs> you know, he hasn't changed. Their language may be different. Their, the, the songs they sing may be even different. 
but the love and the spirit is the same. It is wonderful to go travel and find God being right there, being the same God. What's even more amazing is while not every single church preaches the same thing every Sunday, but the message quite often is the same. It's funny if you go online and you listen to some of these Sunday sermons of people and they all in different parts of the country are, are oftentimes talking about the same general topic. Now there's certain things like this where we go on a, a very specific one, but it's kind of funny. I'd, go, I'd be calling my son and I'd talk to him and we'd talk about what was being said and he's way over in Georgia and we'd talk and he goes, well, what did you talk about? I'd tell him and he goes, well, that's what my pastor talked about today. You know, or you listen to the Christian radio and all these guys are talking about the same thing all week long. You know, and I know absolutely surely they all got together on the phone and said, you know, this is what we're going to talk about. You know, you know, and I'm being very facetious on that. I know they're not doing it. It's just the Holy Spirit coordinating his message to, the, to his people. But this is what is important. We are baptized into one body of Christ. Now, one church doesn't fit everybody. And when I understand that, there, you know, when we sing songs, we try to do a mixture of songs to try to generate some songs that everybody likes. But there are people who just like the old hymns. Give me my old hymns. I don't want to sing anything but the old hymns. And I understand that. I love the hymns. I love the hymns with a passion. But these newer choruses and everything are, have some good messages as long as you pick the right choruses and they're a little upbeat. They draw a younger crowd. And we need those as well. You know, but in both categories, there are songs that don't deserve to be sung <laughs> because they're not biblical. There are hymns, even in our hymnal, that I won't sing because I read through them and say, these aren't scriptural songs. And some of them are beloved songs by people, but I'm looking at them going, not scriptural. Do not fit scripture. And there are lots of the, lots of the new songs that I, that I agree with that are not scriptural. They may be wonderful songs, beautiful songs, well-done songs. I heard a song yesterday, and it was a beautiful words to the song, but I didn't like the singer. <laughs> I'm going, we need a different singer singing this song, but it was a really good message to the song. But you know, each church has different people that they're trying to reach out and minister to. My daughter goes to the church that when they're singing, I sit out in the lobby and it's too loud for me in the lobby when they're singing. Now, they're literally, you know, are loud reaching out, but they have a very large church. They're reaching out to a younger crowd and they're drawing in the people. And their pastor loves God with all of his heart. Their people love God, but their music is loud. You know, it, it's very loud to me. And there's a church here in town that has the same thing. They hand out peer plugs as you go in if you're older. <laughs> so that you don't get your ears bleeding when you get done. All right? Uh, but that is, their, that is their function. They're trying to reach a different crowd. And each, and, you know, there cannot just be one church for every single person, unfortunately. Because everybody has preferences. And we need to be careful about our preferences. You know, well, God, I, I want this type of music and I've got to have this or the church isn't worth going to. We need to be very careful about those. You know, our preferences are not why we go to church. We go to church to worship God. All right. Uh, now, a loud church with my ears bleeding coming out of it is not where I'm going to go. That's just too much pain, too much physical pain for me to deal with. Or I'll do what I do when I visit my daughter's church. I'll sit out in the foyer and come in when they're done singing. You know, but, you know. But that's still a preference. That's my preference. Their pastor is a good pastor. He teaches. He teaches well. You know, and we need to be able to look at why, why do we come to church? Why do we come to be with the body of Christ? Hopefully it is to learn more about God and to fellowship one with another. 
I love being in church where people build up and edify. Because outside of church, we don't get built up and edified very much. Some families do a good job of building up and edifying outside of church, and even many families don't do that. They're always tearing each other up, ripping on each other. You know, we as a body of Christ need to be speaking words of edification, building up one another, helping out. Why? Because we're one. You know, we're one. And this goes to other churches. I mean, I don't want to tear down other churches because they are, I'm not their pastor. I don't have to answer to God for their church. I have to answer for God what I do here. <laughs> you know, whatever I allow to happen here, whatever we do here, then I, then I will stand before God and God will say, well, why did you do that? Or thank you for doing that. Or, you know, what in the world did you do that for? <laughs> you know, well, I thought it was good at the time. Uh, I guess it wasn't. But I'm the one that answers for this church. I don't answer for any of the other churches in the association. I don't answer for any other churches that my kids go to. This is the one I answer for. Your family and your, your disciple, the ones people you're discipling are who you will answer for for what you teach to them. It's a very significant role. When you're responsible for teaching and discipling people, you are responsible for what you teach them. And that may be, for a mother, it may just be your kids that you're, you're ministering to. We're responsible for what, are, what we teach our kids. For those of us who are into discipleship of other people, and that hopefully is all of us discipling somebody, we've talked about this, each one of us should be discipling somebody. I don't care how new you are in Christ, there's somebody that you know more than. Unless you're only two or three days old in Christ, there is somebody that you know more about the Bible, know more about God than, some, than, than the other people. Help them. Bring them up. And then find somebody to help you learn. And I've shared with you so many times, for those of us who've been around for a long time with God and we've war uh, learned a lot, there's got to be something in your life you want to learn more about. Do you want to learn more about prayer? Spend some time with somebody who's really good at praying. You want to learn more about talking about uh, Christ to people? Go talk to somebody who does talk to Christ, uh, uh, talk to people about Christ and evangelize. You want to learn how to study your Bible? Spend some time with somebody who knows how to study and learn how to do these things. Be discipled. Be humble enough to say, I need some help and I, I think you're good enough to help me and, and work on it. We've done all kinds of classes. We've done classes on how to study, how to evangelize. We've done many of these things trying to help us get moving forward for God. Because we will never get to the place where we've arrived with God. Now, if you tell me that you've gotten everything perfect and you're there where you need to be, I'm going to call you a liar because that's what the Bible says. Nowhere are we going to get there because if I think I've arrived with God, then, I get, then that means I am self-righteous and I really don't understand what, my heart the way God understands it. In Jeremiah, he says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And my experience with God is the closer I get to them, the more he shows me how awful my heart is. And I get down there and I'm going, okay, God, I, you know, I got this done. And he says, okay, let's show you something else to work on. Got this one done. Okay, let's show you some more down there. I, th I thank God that he doesn't show us right from the beginning. Can you imagine if he just showed you how evil your heart was from the very beginning? It's bad enough now when he shows me the bits. I don't think we could handle it if he really showed us how evil we are to the core. And I've met people go, well, I'm really awful. I'm really evil. I go, you don't even begin to know how evil you are. I've heard people, well, if I walk in, I'm so bad, God doesn't want me, and the roof will fall in. I go, you don't even know how bad you are. You think you're bad. But wait till you serve God changing your life, and you see how bad your heart 
really is. And I'm talking about things that most people wouldn't even know. They're just your attitudes, your thoughts, your, the way you respond. And God says, we're going to work on these. You know, how many of us have had times where we think God is so wonderful because he shows us, you know, you need to love more. You need to be, be more edifying. You need to care for more people. And you're going, God, I thought I was. And he goes, let me show you. <laughs> let me show you that you're not. And I've said this so many times. If you think that you know how to be forgiving, God's going to put somebody who is very hard to forgive. They're going to do something to you that is so bad, you're going to go, I'll never forgive that person. And God's going to say, okay, we have a little bit of work to do. Well, you know, God, I, for, I forgave 99% of the people. What, I can get away with this one. God says, no, I want you to learn to forgive this person. God, I'm, I, I'm really good at loving people. And all of a sudden, you get into that person who's so hard to love that, that pushes all your buttons and irritates you every time you turn around. And again, you're going, God, I love 99% of the people. <laughs> and God says, no, I want, I want the 100%. And then we get to that one, and he'll show us the next level. This is the life we spend with God as he shows us how really hard our heart is. And he shows us how much we have. Now, don't despair. Hopefully you're growing. <laughs> you know, you're going, God, I love more people than I used to. <laughs> you know, I know you've got more people out there for me to learn to love, but God, I, I'm, I'm made a long ways. And God says, yes, you've made a long ways. Let's keep moving. Let's keep learning to give grace. Let's keep giving, to, learning to give forgiveness. Let's keep learning to love. Let's keep learning to be more giving. And he's going to push it further and further and further. And every time we think we've arrived, he's going to say, not yet. When will we arrive? The day our body drops dead and we stand in the presence of God and he gives us our glorified body, we will be perfect. I didn't, now, note, I didn't say we'll know everything, but we will be perfect. We won't have a sin nature. We won't have an evil heart when we stand before him. Looking forward to that day. Looking forward to that day. It'll be a great day when I stand before him and no more tainted by sin. No more tainted by forgetfulness. And it's terrible. The older I get, the more I forget. And I've always forgotten a lot, but now I'm really forgetting things. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we want to be careful about this because God is saying he loves us. He's made us one body. And we are to love one another. We're to build one another up. We're to care about one another. We're not to say bad things behind people's backs. You know, because I can tell you, and we all know this, if somebody's saying something bad to you about somebody else, they're probably saying something bad about you to somebody else as well. You, know, don't, you don't want to be listening to this. The greatest testimony I can have is that somebody's saying good things behind your back. You know, and hearing good things about people. And saying, you know, this person really loves God. This person has really been witnessing. This person is really kind. This person is really patient. What a testimony you can have when others are saying that about you behind your back. Now, hopefully they'll say it in front of you as well. They may be aware, may be aware of making you proud and, and arrogant, but you know, it is good that that, that is the, the way they want to talk and build up, edify. We are one body. We're placed together in one body. And that body should love one another. And that means when you go to some other church, you love that body. Will you agree every point on their doctrine? Absolutely not, in most cases. Do, does everybody agree with me on every point of doctrine? Nope. And you know what? I'd be afraid if everybody agreed with me on every single point of doctrine. 
Because then I'd be being set up as a cult leader. You know, you've got to believe him. I don't want that. What I do want, and I've said this many times, is do you know what you believe and why? I'll tell you, I'll defend anything that you want to know that I believe, and I'll defend it passionately with scripture. I will tell you why I believe what I believe. If you disagree with me, that's fine. Why do you believe it? And don't tell me I just believe it. <laughs> okay? Lots of, been, lots of things have been done in this world because people believe something. Hitler raised up an entire army and, and country to destroy anybody that wasn't the pure race as far as he was concerned and killed millions of Jews, Christians, gypsies, blacks, whoever that wasn't of the pure race by his design because he got people to believe. Don't just believe something because you believe it. Really sit down and say, why? Peter told us to be ready to give a defense for what we believe. Okay? Right or wrong, know what you believe and why you believe it. Because I don't want a whole bunch of robots just saying, well, I, Pastor Ralph said this, I believe it. No, believe what God is teaching you to believe. Understand what you believe. Because I've already told you all, there's lots of places that I disagree with the mainstream of general beliefs. I have my reasons. I have them very strong. Are they really going to be critical? Nope. And I've told you all, there are just a handful of things that I believe are critical. Number one, this is God's word. It's absolutely true. If it's not absolutely true and you don't want to believe that it's absolutely true, we've got a problem because what are you basing your life on? If the word of God is not absolutely true, you have a worthless book to, to believe in. If there's anything in there that's not true, then I can't say that anything is true. It is important for me to understand that. If I'm trying to be the one that says this is true and this is not true, then I've made myself God, and I'm not following God, who this book is all about. The other one is that Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Outside of those two things, though there are some things that are very important, they're not earth-shatteringly true. They're not salvation issues. What you want to believe about baptism, which is what we're generally talking about, is not a salvation issue unless you believe in baptismal regeneration. You know, it's not a salvation issue. You know, do I believe I get the Holy Spirit the minute I'm saved or sometime future? That's not a, not a salvation issue. It's a power in living my life issue. But it's not a salvation issue. You know, what, what do we talk about the Bible says about the gifts of the Spirit, which we'll talk about when we get into Corinthians, more about the gifts of the Spirit and other places, are not salvation issues. All right? What is a salvation issue? We're sinners in need of Jesus Christ. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot that's worth dying for. Now, believe me, and you all know me very well, I have strong opinions. <laughs> on a lot of the doctrines. And I have things that I teach, and I teach why I believe it. But they're not salvation issues. If somebody wants to disagree with a non-salvation issue, that's fine. But when it comes to salvation, we've got a problem. You all know that I'm a very much a creationist because that's what the Bible teaches. And I'm very opposed to evolution. Now, can a Christian believe in evolution? Yes, I don't know how, but they can. <laughs> and I know many Christians that do. You know. Because you can get saved because it's still Jesus Christ dying for our sin and knowing that we're a sinner. But why did he have to die? All of, all of creation is all about why he had to die. 
man sinned in the Garden of Eden. If we don't want to buy the, the first part of Genesis, then the rest of the Bible falls apart. You can still be a Christian as long as you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died for your sins, and rose again from the dead, and, he, and he's the only way to heaven. You can still be a Christian no matter what else you believe. I just don't know how you do it. <laughs> and so we look at this. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. For Christ also has suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were diso disobedient, when one once long, when once the long-suffering God waited on the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, within few that is eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even bis baptism doth also save us, not by putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God, Peter here is saying that the baptism is that representation of God cleansing us inside. The baptism of the Holy Spirit bringing us in. God protects his children. Now this is the wonderful thing. Now most of us will go, God, I wish you would let a few lesser things happen. You know, God, God has to give Satan permission to do anything to you. Just as he had to do with Job. You know, God met Satan in heaven and Satan, you know, and you know, the thing about Job is God pointed Job out. Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan goes, of course I have. He's a really good, you know, he follows you, but it's all because you're protecting him. And God says, okay, you can get him. Now, how many of us have gone through really hard times? And we might be talking to God and saying, God, could you just not give Satan quite so much permission in my life to do so many bad things? You know, on one side, you know, when we're looking at this, if we really start thinking about this, the more you're doing for God, the more Satan is going to desire to stop you, the more he's going to be asking God to stop you, and the more God's going to let him try to see if you're trusting in God or your own strength. That is what it's all about. God points us out. My, my child's been learning a lot about uh, loving people, Satan. Okay, you can try to get him to stop loving. Go ahead and put somebody in there that's hard to love. Let's see, let's see if they believe me or not. Let's see if they trust me. Let's see if they're going to follow me. And I say this oftentimes in a lot of our other Bible studies especially. Whatever you're learning about God, get ready for the test in that area. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you're learning about God and th or think you've learned about God, get ready to be tested in that area because God's going to say, do you really believe? God, I, 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 I'm really good. God, I can love people now. All right, let's see. God, I love everybody in my life. It's no problem. And God goes, okay, we'll just let somebody come in there. It's a little harder to love. God, I'm really good. I've, for I've forgiven everybody that's done me wrong. Okay, let's see if we can put somebody in there to help you learn forgiveness. God, I, I've learned patience. As you get on the highway doing zero miles an hour because of the accidents on there and you can't move anywhere. <laughs> and you have to decide, am I going to be patient? Am I going to trust God that God had a reason for this? Whatever it is that God is teaching you, be ready to be tested in that area. 
God, I'm learning to be able to be more evangelistic. I've told all my family and friends, okay, and God says, okay, let's put a couple more friends in your life that need God. Are you willing to share it with them? This person's extremely hostile toward God. Are you really ready to open your mouth and to speak about God? I got one guy at work. He is so hostile toward God. It is fun just being around him. <laughs> you know, he's getting used to the fact that I'm going to smile and ask him, you know, isn't this a great day? Aren't you having a good day? As he growls at me. <laughs> you know, and it's funny. He's like, <laughs> it really is. He growls at me when I walk in. He knows that I'm going to ask him about you know, the wonderful day it is, and he knows that, he's not ha- that he is not having a wonderful day because he does not know God. I can't imagine living as miserably as he does. You know, uh, just, I can't imagine it. But it, it's kind of fun being that little burr, you know, hey, there's, there's a way to be good. There's a way to be happy. I'm sure when I first started doing it, he thought it was all some kind of joke, but he's now been around long enough for, th- for three years to know that this is me. That it is me, that I am generally happy most times. So now he's not quite as growl, he's not quite as irritated when I ask, you know, tell him good morning, how are you doing this fine day, and all that kind of stuff that I do to him. And God might even be touching him a little bit. Might. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it's fun just to talk to him about God every once in a while because he doesn't believe in God. And it's fun just to bring God up. Just to see how he's going to react. You know, just to be, you know, I have a warped sense of humor, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it is fun just to present. Just to present God and say, God loves you. You know, we, we love to talk. Uh, I love to talk about creationism with him. <laughs> you know, because he'll show me all this different science and stuff that he thinks is science. And I'm going, that's not science, that's baloney. You know, and, but it is so much fun to present God to people and be able to say, this is who God is. You know, I could just shrink back from him and say, well, he's so grumpy and so grouchy. I'm not ever going to mention God anywhere near him. I'm not going to be cheerful around him. No, I'm going to represent God around him. Some night he may be sleeping, you know, trying to sleep at night and grilling. I need, I'm tired of this, this attitude that, you know, this, this Wells guy is pretty nuts. He seems to always be happy, and it's all about you, God. Maybe, maybe there's an answer. Maybe there's something real there. I don't know how God will ever use it. But, you know, I've heard testimony after testimony of people in the middle of the night suffering from their sin and saying, is that crazy Christian right? <laughs> Are the words that I heard from that pastor on the radio right? Are the words that I heard my son or daughter say right? Are they right? Does God love me? And they may call out in the darkest of their night and say, God, if I need what they have, come into my life and they'll get saved. You and I don't really understand the power we have in people's lives. When we live a godly life, when we don't get mad at a situation and we think everything's gone away and we haven't been a witness to everybody and that person goes away saying, man, I'd have just killed everybody if they had treated me that way, you know, all day long or for that hour. I'd have, I'd have killed them all. And that person held their cool. They stayed professional. They prayed. Whatever, whatever they see you doing impacts people. When we get to heaven, we're going to get blessings for rewards 
for things that we don't even know we've done. Just because we were kind to somebody and it touched their heart. Maybe even led them to Christ in the future, even though they didn't say anything. And maybe we didn't even talk about God that particular time. They just knew we were a Christian and they knew that we were being kind to somebody when they didn't deserve it. We forgave somebody when they didn't deserve it. And they look at it and say, you know, these Christians are crazy. <laughs> these Christians are nuts. They don't ever retaliate. They don't, they're forgiving. They're kind. They say nice things about people who don't deserve nice things said about them. Our life affects people. When we're living like the world, that also affects people. There are many people I've talked to and said, well, you know, I will never become a Christian because my wife, my husband, my mom, my dad, my co-worker lived a life. They said they were Christians and they just did these stupid things. They took advantage of me. They, they hurt me. When we do things wrong, that can be a detriment to somebody's salvation. Now, that's not going to give them an excuse when they stand before God at the white throne judgment and say, well, you know, God, if it just wasn't for these uh, really bad Christians I came across, I'd be, I'd follow and go, no. You heard the truth, you know the truth. They're not going to accept that excuse. But it does make it difficult for us when we're witnessing to them. Well, if you knew, and I've had to really tell people, don't think about what bad examples of Christianity have done to you. You have to answer what, what you're going to do with Christ. I'm not an expert in evangelism by any stretch of the imagination, but I do like to share every once in a while. I usually think about the best things to say about two hours after I'm done talking with somebody. Okay. But I do know how to talk to people and give the defense and tell them what I believe and why and be kind and pray with them. All we can do is start witnessing. Start sharing God with people. And like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Because I know every one of us jumped into a car, uh, to, a, to an, a standard car the first time, and we were able to take right off and, and drive that stick shift all over the place. And the very first time we jumped in, we had no problem with the clutch and didn't, didn't stall the car ever, right? You know? But yet for Christianity, we have this idea of, I'm saved, everything should be perfect from the day that I start, and not give ourselves the time to grow. Are we going to mess up our... our presentation of the gospel oh yes we're going to stumble we're going to stutter we're going to you know when I first got saved granted I was only 10 years old but people go well how do I get saved and I go I don't know come to church with me all I did was say a prayer <laughs> but I know God is in my heart I didn't know how to give the witness I all I knew is God had changed me and I was happy and I didn't but I knew where to find the help and said come with me to church Sunday <laughs> and a lot of my friends came to church that Sunday not a whole lot of them got saved but a lot of them came to church that Sunday now, my presentation has gone a whole lot better than it was back uh, 48 years ago. But it's still not perfect. I'm still in awe of some of the people I hear that can just present the gospel and present the gospel and present the gospel. And they do it so smoothly and effortlessly and don't ever irritate anybody with what they say. They never seem to say anything wrong. And I'm going, okay, God, <laughs> I'm better, but I'm not there yet. Get bold and courageous with God. Make the hard decisions on how you're going to live. Open your mouth to share with your family and friends the gospel. Be kind to people. It feels terrible when you, all you want to do is, is kill them to have to get, be nice to them. Your flesh is screaming, kill this person. And God is yelling in your ear, love this person. 
and you have to make a decision. Now, why do most of us not do kind things? A lot of times it's that we don't want to be perceived to be weak and too easy. Well, you know, God, if I was kind to this person, they might, they might find me as an easy mark and be beating up on me all the time. Well, you know what? God's able to defend you. He'll protect you. And yes, you might be. You might be considered that way, but God still has a plan. And he has a job for it. We're told in everything give thanks for this is the will of Christ Jesus in, in you. How many of us give thanks for everything? Oh, believe me, I understand. It's hard. <laughs> now note that we don't say for everything, but in everything. When you're in great pain, if you're giving God thanks for the pain, there's some psychological issues with you. <laughs> All right. If you're enjoying the pain and thanking him for the pain, you've got some other issues, but you can thank God in the pain. God, I don't know what you're trying to teach me, but thank you for what you've brought my way and help me to learn what it is you want me to learn. We want to be able to look at these things because these are important. A couple of verses just for you to write down for checking out. We talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. John 14, 7, Romans 8, 10, 1 John 2, 27. And for all those who don't believe that the Spirit filled us in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 27. The Holy Spirit filled people even in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 26, 27. The Holy Spirit fills us. Those are just a handful of verses about being filled by the Holy Spirit. When we get saved, we are filled by the Holy Spirit. John 14, 17. Romans 8, 9. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. 1 John 2, 27. And then Ezekiel 36, 27. And then all through the book of Acts, we see the power of being filled by the Holy Spirit. And we won't cover all of these, but we see Peter and John at the, at the temple in, in Acts 3. They went to pray at the temple, and the, and the lame man asked of an alms, and then they said, you know, we don't have any money, but we, in the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And he rose up and walked. When the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room and they came out and they all spoke in languages that everybody around the world understood. Peter stood up and preached a message that everybody understood. Now I've always wondered when people speak in tongues, does God change their speech or does God change people's hearings? And I have a feeling that God changes what they hear. Because when Peter spoke, everybody heard his message and understood. It is an amazing thing when we think about God's power. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to still do these things. They did not end in the past. Healing still exists. Speaking in tongues still exists because I've seen and heard people do it. All these different things that are out there, the power to teach the things you don't understand, the power to do all these things that the Holy Spirit promises us that we can do, build up and edify. There are certain people that are gifted for edifying. They just, every time they open their mouth, they're building people up. I'm getting better at that, but I'm not there. <laughs> okay? I try to be kind. I try to be gentle. 
But I've been around people who it's like every time they speak, people are built up. You know, there, there is a gift of love. Now, we're all called to love one another, but there are people that just love. They, that's just their gift. What has God gifted us to do? Practice. Find out what the Spirit has given you as a gift. Learn to follow after him. And the last verse I want to read is Acts 1.8. This is the promise of Jesus. I'll start at verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, for the Father hath put it in his own power. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. We are given power to serve God. When we become a Christian, when we're baptized by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, we get power. What is that power for? First and foremost is to have power and victory over sin. Does that mean we're going to be victorious over every sin that comes our way? No. But those things that hold addiction to us, if we turn them over to God, we can be victorious. The more we turn our life over to God to be crucified, for him to crucify our flesh, according to Acts 2, uh, Galatians 2.20, he'll crucify our flesh. He will give us the power to get over these things. If we are living a defeated Christian life, we are living beneath our standard. God gives us the power to live victoriously when I surrender. When I surrender my life. Now, believe me, I've said this. I've had so many people go, well, how do you surrender? Well, surrender is really easy. You give up. That's my theological answer for surrender. If we had the police outside this store saying, come out with your hands up. What are we going to do? Hopefully you're going to go out the door with your hands up. <laughs> Otherwise, there's going to be tear gas and whatever else coming in here, dogs or whatever else, saying we're going to drag you out anyway. How do we surrender to God? We give up. Now, our flesh does not want to give up. And then we make life difficult. But how many times have you got to the end of something when you finally realize you've surrendered to God and you look back on it and say, Wow, it was so easy when I just surrendered to God. I've been fighting with this for 24 hours, 36 days, 300 years. <laughs> you know, I've been fighting with God all this time, and all I had to do was surrender, give up. That's been my practice in my life. When I finally, when I, when I finally and I'm just like everybody else, sometimes I'm very stubborn about giving up. And I give up and go, why did I fight so long? <laughs> This was easy. All I had to do was give up. When we give up to God, he gives us the power to be victorious. If we want to do things in our own strength, God is such a gentleman. He says, okay, you keep fighting yourself. When you're ready to give up, I'll be here waiting for you to give up. And we get ourselves beat up, worn out, tired, and go, God, my life is so defeated. And God says, yeah, it really is. You just let me take over. Would you, if, you let me if you'd surrender and let me take over, we'll give you victory. No, God, I'm going to keep fighting for a while. I'm, I'm going to do this on my own. Our pride gets us into trouble so often. I am going to do this, God. And he says, okay, well, let's, 
when you're when you're done when you're done and then we finally surrender to him and all of a sudden life turns around at least in that area and the more we surrender to him the easier life becomes and you know what surrendering to God can become a habit you just get used to surrendering to God and it starts becoming a lot easier and easier God, you know, every place I surrender to you, you, you are there and you're giving me strength. And you start to trust God more. I hope that each person is going to learn to trust God more and more and see your life changed more and more for everything you're doing. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, if there's anybody listening on the radio or even in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, we pray that today... They will admit that they're a sinner and ask you to come into their life and change them and fill them with your Holy Spirit and change them. And we just thank you for that and that they will let somebody know that they've done that. Lord, for all of the rest of us, Lord, I ask you to teach us to surrender our heart, our soul, and our minds and our strength to you so that you can give us the power to be victorious. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.